Spurs and Simon Taylor to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Uh, as always, you can follow our Facebook page uh, or you can find us on Twitter at cockandball underscore pod. I'm Tom, a.k.a. Fenn. Uh, once again, we've got a full quartet tonight. We've got Captain Calamitous. It's Ash. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, alongside him, we've got Admiral Adel. It's Jules. Jesus Christ, that's got to be edited. <laughs> Depends how you read it. Uh, keeping us within the law is, is our very own Sergeant Major Celiac. It's Jim. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so we've gone from trying to dissect three games a week and then we found ourselves longing for another Spurs game uh, after the wonders of the week that came before. Uh, I think it's more Stockholm Syndrome than it's sort of a, a dopamine addiction. Um, not a great deal has happened apart from the transfer window closing. Um, Can we use the correct terminology, please? Which is? Slammed shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, Levy gave us a bit of a, a rod on by teasing us with a deadline deal for rod on. Until uh, <laughs> everyone pointed out that the transfer window for that doesn't actually shut um, until the 16th of October. So there's nothing to get excited about there either. Um, We've been doing a bit of a Twitter campaign to try and find Danny Rose, which is what I wanted to start with tonight, because no one's actually seen him in the flesh for a very long time, to the point where I'm surprised he hasn't been declared missing. Um, Some of our followers on Twitter, believe it or not, we do have some, did point out that um, he appears to be training with the reserves or the under-23s. And it was pretty clear from the regular on signing midway through the transfer window, (laughs) Rose had... uh, Lost his uh, squad number pretty dramatically with no announcement whatsoever. How, Ash, how do you feel about this? He's a longest-serving player and surely he deserves a bit more respect. Yeah, well, I've got an image of him standing outside the San Siro with a, um, a, a crudely written sign saying, we'll play football for money. Yeah, no, he's he's been a great servant, hasn't he? Like like you were saying, he's, he's given us a good 10 years. But if I'm being honest, out of that 10 years, I can only really remember one good one, which was the um, the last one at the lane. I struggle to think any string of consistency, uh, consistent performance after that. But, you know, the, the thing it came down to for me was everybody has the idea that his interviews were refreshing, you know, being so honest. And to a point, I agree. But if your partner's telling you what's wrong with you every five minutes, eventually you're going to get annoyed, aren't you? I very much agree with Ash that he hasn't been a spectacular player for the full 10 years. <clears throat> I think he sort of he fell into the squad um, in that position because we needed someone. He eventually had one and a half, two really good seasons and otherwise has been either poor or kind of injury prone or injured. Um so no, not not a great for me. Does he deserve respect? Yeah, he's he was a good player. He did well. I don't mind his outspoken attitude. Um, but at the end of the day, he's the fourth choice left back at the club now. Even Serkin's got a squad number ahead of him. So he's a little bit irrelevant in my view. Sort of agree, but I do think he probably does deserve more respect than he gets. I think... we don't need him to be great to recognise that players don't stick around generally at clubs for as long as he he has and um, I just think he's he's an interesting bloke like he's the things he talks about he's he's spoken very openly about kind of like mental health problems and having a difficult upbringing and I think uh, aside from 
his performances on the pitch. He's just an interesting guy um, and gives us pause for thought, I think, about how the way we think footballers should act and be. A couple of, inter- a couple of years ago, he, he did that interview, didn't he, where he said, I can't wait to retire and I wouldn't recommend playing football because it's a job and I don't like it. Um, and as a response and, to the racism as well that he's faced. Yeah, and on the one hand, I sort of think, well, off you pop then, mate, because there's thousands of others that could do that job just as well. But on the other hand, you sort of respect the fact that he recognises it for what it is. It's a, it's a, yeah, I think that's a powerful point. You know, he doesn't have to. I think sometimes we forget that for footballers, it is a job, and you know, yes, it's a lovely idea that it could all be as kind of romantic as the Harry Kane story or, so, you know, Stephen Gerrard or people are one man, uh, one club men. But for a lot of others, it's not. And they get booted out and it's not very nice. And they're forced to relocate with their families. And I've, you know, I've no, I think you're absolutely right. He's spoken eloquently and deserves great credit for that. Um, but in the same way that I don't think he's going to, you know, I don't think he, he will feel emotional uh, or sort of break down and want to, um, want to want to have a hug when he goes. I don't think we should sort of remember him as anything other than what he was. He was a he was an excellent left back for about two years. Um, you know, he did his best for us for about two years. He's been trying to get out the club, <laughs> and unfortunately, there hasn't been the right environment, the sort of landing pad for him. But you know, nice nice guy. I think he'll probably make a very good pundit. What I will say about him is, he, whenever he played, he, he did put. 100% down on the line and he did spend most of his time just picking himself back up he seems to be <laughs> he get clattered every time the ball came his way which you kind of have to admire uh, I did from the outside looking in as we all are um, it looks harsh that he's come back from loan and Spurs sign a new left back and instantly give him his old squad number but we don't know what conversations are being had behind closed doors anymore uh, unless they are still filming secretly uh, so it's possible that it was a bit of a, a magnanimous exit and he could still go. The, the window is still open. <laughs> There's talk of him going to um, join Neil Warnock at Middlesbrough, which uh, I think is, is nowhere near Milan, but <laughs> at least he'd get some football. I think if I, if I was him, I'd, I'd hang up my boots at this point. I don't see, you know, what, what more does he want to go to the championship and get the crap kicked out of him persistently for every single game? For the best part of a year, maybe a year and a half, he's lucky, and then retire. Like one, just one, just hang up his boots at the top end of the game. He's not that old, is he? He's 30, 30, I think. Yeah, but I think he's got a lot of miles on the clock. He kept, he was starting to play when he was like sixteen, wasn't he? He was sixteen, seventeen. He was coming through. Well, I remember his debut goal. It was the loudest noise I ever heard from. That was one of my loudest noises I've ever heard from a turnstile. He did he stand quite a bit. And when he scored that screamer against, you know, and uh, Andy Gray, remember him, um, absolutely lost his mind uh, on his debut. I mean, I'll never forget that goal. And I'll always remember it for it because I never heard a noise like it. Uh, well, at the risk of sounding like I'm giving a heartbroken best mate some um, relationship advice, those are the moments that you've got to, we've got to remember of him, really. Otherwise, it's just it will just continue turning sour, and you know nobody gets anything out of that. He did give us some very good moments. I think he personified the Richard Pochettino era, being you know turning a very average player into something special for for unfortunately too many fleeting moments. Ash, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I remember 
um, Rio Ferdinand, who I actually think is pretty, I, I always quite enjoy his punditry. I think he, he comes across pretty succinct and well thought, well thought sort of through points. Um, he said that, you know, maybe the, the simple answer with the sort of the Pochettino era of 2016 to 18 is that it came so close and it will have to be the next generation built on top of these kind of foundations, which goes on to win that trophy or goes on to crack the ceiling. Um, and I look back very fondly at having two great Belgian almost twins at centre half and having these rampaging northern wingbacks who were athletic and aggressive and powerful and and brilliant in Carl Walker and Danny Rose and you know but but that era has moved on so it's now on to the next back line and it looks like the next back line will be Region, Dyer, Sanchez and uh, probably Hoisberg or Aurier. In more thrilling news uh, Spurs got some very exciting planning permission this week um, not just developing around the ground which is far far too serious for this conversation uh, there's a new amphitheatre coming to the training ground uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they needed planning permission to essentially dig a hole uh, but but there you go uh, it's supposed to be for team bonding and that, but what can you actually see going on in there, Ash? The obvious one that springs to mind is a all or nothing musical, depending on if we can get Andrew Lloyd Webber to compose a few songs about nice guys never winning and waiting for Milan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I, I kind of, I was kind of thinking of thinking of thinking of uh, an amphitheatre and thinking about what could be done. And I kind of came up with three three categories. Um, so option one would be practical for sort of like people who need to practice talking. So Harry Kane could probably do with some elocution lessons. <laughs> I feel a little bit like sort of, you know, the King's speech or like the captain's speech sort of vibe. You know, I think he could, he could probably do with the equivalent. Um, option two would be, I feel like we could have, well, Knowing, knowing Levy and, you know, Daniel never misses an opportunity to make a buck. Surely there's an opportunity to get on some plays and start getting crowds in for, for theatre. Um, I like the idea of Macbeth with Jose, obviously, in lead role, um, which would make, what, Pochettino, uh, King Duncan, Hassan Hootel would be Macduff in, in that kind of <laughs> order. I like, I like the idea of something something that way. Um, and the final option, you said team bonding, Fen. Well, some of the greatest musical duets, of course, have been done on stage. So I, I, I thought I'd give you, I'll give you three options and you tell me which one you'd most like to see. Um, Winston Hoisberg singing Need You Now. Uh, Never Gonna Give You Up from Jose to Lamella. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or the solo song, Sizoko to the rest of the squad. You've got a friend in me, that old Toy Story classic. <laughs> well, Suzuka is a friend to everyone, seemingly. <laughs> I do like the idea of uh, Lamella being absolutely serenaded by Jose. He just <laughs> loves him for stepping on people. <laughs> Lamella would also be a really interesting person to sing, of course, because he could definitely hit the high notes. Hear me out. Amphitheatre. Ancient Greece. Anybody familiar with the play Lysistrata? I'm not really sure we're the right USP for that, Jim. Okay. <laughs> so hit me out. Ancient Greek play. Uh, it's about kind of warring factions. Nobody's ever happy. Uh, 
warring leaders that haven't quite got the the same kind of spark and charm that they used to have. Sound familiar? I can see and, where this is going. <laughs> and uh, all the women uh, on the Greek island in the in the Peloponnese decide that the way to end the war is to go on sex strike. Uh, so there's a complete sex ban, and they think that that's going to get the warring factions talking, but actually it just leads to inflamed kind of sexual tension and anger. Um, so and nice it, isn't that our third year house at uni? Just no, 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 or potentially Greece, which is just about the 2004 European <laughs> Championship winning squad. <laughs> definitely some scope there. Speaking of uh, shocking performances, um, our search for a new chant for Venetia was pretty terrible last week. But um, we've actually been set a task by uh, Steve CCO on Twitter, uh, a.k.a. the Paxton Toad. Um, there was a bit of a conversation about Spurs chants being a bit boring. And the best chant that ever really come up for Bale was just Bale, Bale, which uh, is sort of Chelsea level of, it's just not going to work. Um, so I've set you a task this week. <laughs> Again, if, whether or not we are able to come up with a better one. And I have no idea who to start with. I suspect I should start with Jules. Um, well, I, I sort of tried to have a think about one today. And I was like, well, it doesn't come to me particularly easily. But what I'll do is I'll hit shuffle off my recently listened to music on Spotify and I'll see what song comes up and I'll have to try and come up with something based off that. So I hit shuffle and by the way, uh, from Red Hot Chili Peppers came up. I, I've kind of got one. I've got a couple of the lines in place, but it's the rest which I would need to still work on. But to the tune of something like. Gareth the King is playing putt on the green and hitting worldies. <laughs> Overload. <laughs> Something to that kind of... Oh, man. Something to that kind of direction is, would be my, uh, would be, would be my, my move. Well, if the listener can't tell, non-club weeks are really difficult for us to handle. <laughs> <laughs> we all had so many better things to do with our time. Yeah. I have absolutely nothing. So in in the in the spirit of annoying everyone and giving you something really catchy that's also crap, I'm just gonna copy the Twitter and just go Gareth Bell do 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 Gareth Bell do do Oh you've just run the whole stage. I've I've I don't know how it ends. So I've got like three lines. It's a metaphor um, for life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've I've got started on a um on a on a tune to That's Amore, which again I'll deliver in the form of a spoken word poet. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes He taxied Mike on, gives us all a hard on Gareth Bale. He conquered in Spain, now he's back home again, Gareth Bale. He's hitting a net, keepers wet the bed, Gareth Bale. That's all I've come up with, I'm afraid. 
I'm I'm not so sure about the rhyming on the last. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I wanted something to rhyme with want, but of course, censored by Jim. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably for the best, really. Ben, do you have anything to finish with? Uh, yeah. Well, when I started, well, basically, I ended up coming up with a slight chant for the entirety of our front three because I worked out that I could fit it and there are other names and it rhymes quite well and very recently I was reminiscing about music we used to listen to uh, growing up we're talking like early noughties and I think I got as far as now 53 which included The Tide is High by Atomic Kitten <laughs> which of course is a cracking inspiration for, for singing your heart out on the terraces um, so all I've gone for is the line is high but we're bombing on Bale and Kane and Hyungmin Son. We are the kind of team who scores goals just for fun. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, repeat. I don't think we're winning any any kind of awards for our for our, our efforts here today. But just thinking of um, of what the uh, what the away fans might think of all these chants and what they might sing in response. And I don't think any of them be very complimentary to you. <laughs> I think we're quite used to that as Spurs fans, aren't we? <laughs> I don't think that's... <laughs> yeah, we've heard worse. Yeah. We've all got very different experiences because I, I go to Fulham more often than I go to Tottenham. And we've got two much more regular Tottenham attenders and one Stockport, Stockport fan. What's the thing that you miss the most and what's the thing that you miss the least about the match day? Queuing for beer. Uh, I, I hate queuing, but I love beer. So the two are never going to go very well together and... In fairness to the to the new ground, they priced a pint of beer at four quid, which is nice. But Neckold is five pound fifty. Now, considering they brew it in the ground, it's a little bit of a piss take. I missed a random bit of inspiration by some geezer five rows in front of you. You just didn't see coming. Hardly even relevant to the game, but it just gets everybody going every time. There was this one guy when we were at Wembley, Tom. It just every match game. No matter who the opposition was, he had this one chart that he always used, which was along the lines of, you are a shit club, we are a proper club. <laughs> over and over again to every yeah. single opposition. But it was just him singing it and everyone just looked yeah. around like, is he with you? Man, he used to turn up every week, no, no one knew who he was. And <laughs> I did see him in the, in the new Park Lane end again <laughs> afterwards, but there was one time actually we got everyone else singing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that was towards the end. Everybody was feeling a bit nostalgic. Yeah, and a bit sorry for him, I imagine. <laughs> what about you, Jim? I just miss the characters. Like there was a, I've sat in the same seat with my uh, grandpa next to me for about fifteen years or so, and in that time, there's always been this uh, older couple sat next to us, uh, similar age to my to my grandparents, um, and we got on with them really well, and we we never knew their name. And after about a decade, we were like, we should really know their name, but it's 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 just been too long. So then my grandpa and I spent the next three years having conversations with them and just giving them like subtle nudges to try and get them to talk about each other to get their names. <laughs> and in the end, we realised one of them was called Dot. And she's a really nice woman. And we remembered that. And then it took about another 18 months and we found out the guy's name and we're like, oh, great, we've got it now. We'll remember it. And then we both forgot the guy's name. So we then, then had to wait another 18 months until she mentioned it again. 
<laughs> this might be the most British issue I think <laughs> I've heard quite but a while. Th- these are like these are people like have been to away days with them. Like you see them at like all over the country in the pissing rain, getting wet through, having a miserable time. You're like having a chat with them. And you're like I don't even know your name. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that bloke Ash. Do you remember it was a Europa League game back in the day when Spurs couldn't sell out a Europa League game? And he turned up late to the first half in a suit. <laughs> spent the whole of the first half with his back to the game, telling the guys around him how he knows Marcus Edwards' dad and that he was going to be the next big thing. And he left at halftime. Never saw him he again. Was there, he was there for about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the stadium was empty enough for everybody to physically be moving away from him as he was making his way to tell different people the same story. Speaking of uh, stadium news, Quiz time. More planning permission. Spurs' capacity has gone up. Did you know this? Shall we play? Guess how many extra seats we've got. I want the total number extra and a bonus point if you know the new capacity. I'll go 2,000 more seats, which would give us 63,000-ish, I think. No. I'll go a lot lower. I'm only going to go for about 30, 30, 300 extra seats. So that would give us closer to just over 62, so 62, 200 or something, I think it will give us. Well, 30 extra seats is essentially those uh, socially <laughs> distanced ones they put around the edge. You know? <laughs> no, and Levy would sell those as well. <laughs> he would. Jim, give us a guess. Um, I'll go for 500. So Jim that... is the winner. Hey, um, I don't know what that, what, what would that be, about 60... Two and a half thousand, sixty-three thousand, something like that. God, Jim's quite good at this, isn't he? Five hundred and forty-seven extra seats. I have no <laughs> idea how you cram in an odd number of seats into the ground, but somehow we've done it. Capacity is now sixty-two thousand eight hundred and fifty, and if that's not a really good advert for this podcast in international breaks, I don't know what is. <laughs> but in more pressing news, there's, there's been a lot of football news. In a bit more general, um, sort of instigated by this project, Big Picture, uh, and what appears to be the impending cash crisis uh, within the Football League and probably the rest of football. Jim, for those who might not have been, it's not always that clear on the news because there's been quite a lot of it, but can you give us a quick rundown of basically what project Big Picture is? Yeah, um, the short answer is it's a power grab. By a small number of clubs, but the there's a there's it's basically about six proposals. So one is two hundred and fifty million pound grant to the rest of the football league to keep it afloat. In return for that, the football league would have to agree to scrap the league cup. The way that TV deals are negotiated would change. So the football league would have to throw their lot in with the Premier League basically, and then get twenty five percent. Uh, the Premier League would be cut from 20 to 18 teams. Um, only two teams would be relegated instead of three, and then you'd have a relegation playoff instead of a promotion playoff. And crucially, the the, the big sticking point that I think has probably killed it is that <laughs> what they called themselves the Big Nine Premier League clubs, which is pretty laughable when you think about it, would get more voting rights than everybody else. Now. We, we were talking about doing this before 
Um, kind of talking about the mess that football's in last week for this pod, uh, before we got news of Project Big Picture, and then almost like a, a gift from the proverbial football gods, uh, United and Liverpool delivered this <laughs> uh, flying pig of a um, <laughs> of a proposal that just kind of encompasses all the self-serving greed that exists at the top of the game. Um, just to, I mean, look, let's just go through these things one by one. £250 million for the Football League. So that's £250 million between 72 clubs. To put it into context, £250 million is just over half what Manchester City have spent on defenders in the last four years. 25% of proceeds from the TV deals going to the Football League. Football League deal on its own at the moment is already worth about 25% of the Premier League's own, and it has the right, it has the ability to make its own deals. Cutting the Premier League from 20 to 18, frankly, I don't really care whether there's 20 teams or 18 teams. There's 18 in Germany, it works kind of fine. But one of the proposals, well, one of the conditions of the proposals was that the Football League would still have to stay at 72 teams. So basically, two teams out of League Two would have to be relegated. The League Cup being scrapped divides opinion, but these competitions, just because some clubs don't care about them, doesn't mean that they shouldn't exist. Um, And I'd challenge anybody that supports uh, United or Liverpool or whoever that doesn't really care about the League Cup to tell a Swansea fan or a Bradford City fan that that competition doesn't matter because that's given them their best days out probably ever in the last few years. Um, and then this idea about the the top nine clubs getting most power. Well, big clubs will always have power. They, they, they will. That's just the way of the game. But look at Man City. Like 20 years ago, they were a third division laughingstock. And they have become one of the biggest clubs not only in the country, but in Europe, because they could and because they had the ability to climb the ladder. Um, and, so, yeah, when, when, you, when you say because they could and because they had the ability to climb the ladder, by that, do you mean oil? Yeah. Um, right. So a little bit like financial fair play, it's essentially a mechanism for closing the shop. And football lives on competition. It lives on challenges being able to challenge. And as soon as you get this situation where you've just got a handful of teams that can compete and nobody else can get close. It becomes boring, um, just like it is in Liga and just like it is in Germany. So um, football's broken, for sure, and it needs a lot of reform, but this isn't it. And uh, thankfully, it looks like uh, collectively they've decided that it's not the thing to do, but um, it does just kind of go to show how when there's a crisis, there's always somebody to try and make um, an opportunity out of it. Yeah, listening to that and reading it the first time, the first thing that came to mind was the child snatcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Just trying, <laughs> trying to lure him in with some nice bit of money or, or something. And then, you know, we'll we'll lock you up and we'll ruin you later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, there's a couple of, you know, I, I I agree with pretty much Jim's perspective on all of that. Um, I heard a great metaphor for it on um, uh, my second favourite, of course, podcast, Football Ramble. Um, someone who, who used the analogy of it's like 
you're you're offering to help a man who's drowning into your boat on the condition he gives him your he gives you gives you his wallet first um and you could just get him into the boat like you don't have to sort of try and rob him on the way in um and no, i mean look there's 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 big parts of it which i think make sense and which people probably would would be would be happy with but it's the blatant um sort of underlying reasons they want it which are are not in football's best interests they don't want to get rid of the league cup because we have fixture congestion it's because they'll make more money from hosting exotic uh friendlies with other international clubs than they will from playing your bradfords and your swansea's it's not a you know they, they don't intend to rest players it's just that they they want to make money a different way um you know pulling up the gates jim's exactly right ultimately the drawbridge, drawbridge rather goes up and that gives them the chance to control their own uh, destinies and stop anyone else from, from coming near them. Um, ultimately, though, and maybe this is a slightly sort of facile or, or sort of simplistic way to look at it. It feels like a European Super League is going to happen because that's what all the biggest powers in football seem to be gravitating towards. Why not just let them sod off and do it? If the biggest, if if I don't know, if City United, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea want to go into a division with Bayern, Juve, Barca, Real, then fine. I'd I'd rather watch how Wolves get on against Fulham, probably quite well. Um, yeah. I'd rather see how Tottenham did playing against you know Newcastle, and if we got penalised for having defenders with arms again. Like I I enjoy English football for English football. If the very biggest want to create this bizarre money-driven FIFA in reality world, then let them go and do that if that's what they want. But yeah, maybe 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 that's the best honest answer. I think a lot of people are, are sort of coming round to that view as well. That if yeah, if you want if you want your Super League, then off you pop. All football clubs are self-interested. There's no point in pretending that they're not because everybody wants the best for their club, and every club will look after themselves. They have to. Uh, but like. If, the football pyramid is, it's a good analogy because if you think of a pyramid, what happens if you take away the stones at the bottom? The top falls away. You're always going to have clubs at the top and they're always going to be the powerful and the biggest and generally the ones with the most money. But they can only be that and they can only have the competition they've got because they've got the other clubs below them. And it's not just about the game, is it? It's about these these are kind of institutions that have existed for a hundred odd years and they're part of our... Depends what, if you like. And it kind of comes back to, I suppose, what is football to you? You know, what is that match day experience? Why does it matter? Um, I found it hugely enjoyable and ironic watching the Man City chairman uh, or director of football, um, Soriano, um, saying that he, he feels there's a real moral issue in football of Germany taking the best players from City at 18 and then trying to sell them back to them five years later. Um, and his solution is that he he wants to basically keep the players and develop them without actually having to develop them and sees no issue in the fact that they poached, um, what was it, Jaden Sancho from, from Watford. And you look at Jaden Sancho coming through as a generational talent, and I think that term is used a bit flippantly, but I genuinely believe he is. Um, you know, think of what Jaden Sancho could have brought to Watford Football Club. How, how great he could have been for them, how, what, what a great development that would have been. Um, and they see, they see no irony in their, in, their, in their actions there. 
Yeah, bring it back to big picture. I think all these concerns that we've raised are valid, but the biggest one that sticks out for me is that Arsenal will be considered one of the big nine. The reason for that is, and it's not just, I'm not just trying to be bitter. I don't, do you remember the Emirates Cup back in 2017? The infamous Emirates Cup. When yeah. um, Sevilla won two out of the two games, got nine points with a goal difference of two. Arsenal played two, won one, lost one, somehow had nine points with a goal difference of two and lifted <laughs> the cup. So I'm not sure I want Arsenal being anywhere near anything that makes laws about football. Valid. <laughs> Bear in mind, Arsenal were the reason that we were relegated from the first division. Because yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got, one, I've got one hypothetical for you both. Um, I was talking to Ash before, and I thought I'd pose it to to, to you, Jim, and to Fen, given you both, uh, you, you both have lowly clubs strongly placed in your hearts with Stockport and Stevenage for you, Fen, as a as a local. Um, if under this new system you became either an affiliate club or essentially a kind of uh, a feeder club to your local sort of invert, very much inverted commas here, um, big club, how would you feel? I think it depends on what that arrangement is, because if you are essentially a B team, forget it, not interested. Mm. At all. It's but unfair if- on professional players at the bottom of the game. Yeah. Because you'd just be turning lower division teams into B teams. But yeah. if you're looking at it from having a special relationship with certain clubs uh, and always specifically loaning out, so when we are, someone's 18, 19, you might loan three of them to your affiliate club. And if the, yeah, I think, like, I think we used to have quite a good relationship with Liverpool where we'd take, every year we'd end up taking one of their decent players but it was it was a relationship based on trust because they knew that when a player came to us this was when we were in, in sort of league one league two they knew they'd get game time and they'd become a better player and we knew that it was a relationship in good taste and, and good and kind of good faith as well where you get you get a good player that will do you good um, and you're under no obligation to play them if they're out of form if they're they've got a bad attitude or anything like that, then they can sit on the bench, they can be out of the squad. Um, so I think if you've got kind of informal, kind of good relationships, then fine. But if it's a kind of regimented B-team kind of relationship, it doesn't matter who the big club in that partnership is. I think it kind of defeats the point of, of the second club existing, really. I think it goes back to the pyramid analogy. I think there's nothing greater than the idea that you need the bottom of the pyramid to to support the top and the reason why there are so many lesser paid professional footballers sitting around what is now even as low as sort of the conference and uh, the division below is because players of uh, all sorts of clubs will produce players that eventually just plateau and you never know when a player will and you, you might loan out a 18 year old to Stevenage and that might actually be his level and you therefore create a professional player who plays until he's 35 but he needs that level to play it so is that the solution then just to basically if you're not going to be an elite footballer if you're not going to be able to play as a Premier League professional you're essentially just bidding them off and that's where the foundation is needed and fundamentally that 
is why European Super League probably won't ever work because it doesn't have that foundation. It'll just stagnate very quickly. Mm. And also, I think you'll find with, I mean, it, we're kind of conflating two issues here, but another problem with the Super League is that I think you'll very quickly find the likes of Man United get really bored of finishing eighth. <laughs> I mean, they're going to finish eighth in the Prem, so I don't see what... Well, well exactly. Well, it depends if they get Pochettino in. <laughs> sooner rather than later, doesn't it? I don't know. I, I think, um, no, and, you know, Jim and Fenn, I think, you know, very nuanced and, and sort of balanced points. But I think the basic thing which stands is you, you want to still be your own club and have, you know, respect. And a B team doesn't get that. But that is essentially, you know, we I think we can all see that is the direction that those big six clubs are trying to trying to go in. It doesn't uh, make any economic sense either. Like, sorry to butt in, but another way of thinking about it is it doesn't matter how many fans you've got. But if you're, say, just picking two clubs at random, Notts County, Chesterfield, big mm. rivals, they both get on average, you know, five, six, seven thousand fans each, right? They both look forward to that derby against each other more than any other game in the season. And for that that game, they might get 10,000. Notts County against Wolves B on a Tuesday night. Who's going to turn up for that? It's a very good point. Um, and I think that it also comes down to ultimately what do we want football to be? And, you know, without meaning to go on, on to quite a big question at such a late moment in the pod, um, when we're approaching the stadium, we can see it glistening away there in the distance. Shit, it's on fire! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would honestly say that, that for me, I, I see a real trend of uh, seeing friends of mine going to watch lower league teams, whether it be Hampton and Richmond at home or... Uh, Dulwich Hamlet. Um, I see people kind of getting involved in grassroots projects. Um, and there's something really lovely about being involved in a community like that. And I think it's something yeah, yeah. where we're all in a greater need of now than ever before. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, that that's really what football is about. It's about the community um, and about the teams and about the, the, the magic of all the stuff on top is kind of built on, on the shoulders of all the people who are trying to get there. Um, and I just hope that if, if Daniel was ever listening, I hope he could. I hope he could bear that in mind because it's it's not just all about the numbers. I mean, it's all a bit null and void, really, because it's not going to happen if, it's, if we're a bit pragmatic and realistic about it. I think this is a terrible suggestion that's been brought out by the biggest clubs in the game, but for so long people have just talked about the issue, but now there's actually some sort of action, and realistically, this is going to be a catalyst for change, and hopefully. A good change in the long run, even though what they propose is never actually going to see the light of day. Uh, Stratford away at a weekend, scores on the doors. Jim? I'm going to be rogue here and go Desmond. 2-2. Uh, 2-2. Jules? 3-1. 2? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that up to the, up to the listener to decide. <laughs> Ash? Uh, yeah, it's a game we should dominate. Bale's back, isn't he? So I went 3-1 win. Mm, yeah, everyone's saying that uh, Bale's back, we're going to smash him. But they're in top form. And normally that leads to a 0-0. So that's what I'm going for. 
So thank you for listening. Next week we're going to be reviewing what we hope is a resounding defeat for of West Ham United, not for West Ham United, uh, and look ahead to a proper start of the Europa League campaign. So thanks for listening.